Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that you will continue to increase our knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may grow in the true faith. Uh, we pray that we would have a good and productive discussion tonight as uh, we can consider again the, prog- uh, the, the history of feminism in our society and uh, what your word teaches us about the difference between men and women. And we pray that you would help us uh, stay true to your word and always make a faithful confession before the world. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, well, um, I guess, first of all, what did y'all think about the movie? Did you enjoy it? Did you, uh, did you hate it? Somewhere in the middle? I thought it was interesting. That was interesting? I thought it was more for women mm-hmm. than men. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is true. It is, it is definitely geared more towards um and that's something i almost didn't even notice the first time i watched it because it's just kind of thinking about the theology of it more than um kind of the message it was sending but i i and i do almost appreciate that that it, there was more um kind of motivation uh it's almost like a motivational speech but in documentary form for for christian women uh that giving Christian women like a, a kind of motivation to to live out their vocation as women. So, yeah, I thought that was um, good. But I, I think men can benefit from it, can kind of see, um, you know, the some of the differences in, as she went through the different forms of feminism and, and things, uh, kind of see how, how that's progressed throughout history too. I like where they brought up, you know, she was a Proverbs 31 woman, mm-hmm. you know, and that lady was, she was into so many things that she didn't have a minute to even think of something else. She didn't need time. Yeah. yeah. She liked to make friends. What did women do? I don't know. She building, she, I mean, puts it on that back. She, yeah. yeah. She, I mean, she didn't even do that. I mean, she didn't make men do that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she... I Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for her, it just don't get done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's true. I wouldn't be bragging about it. <laughs> and it, it's it's hard for us to it it's hard for us to know you know exactly what it was like, but that you got to think before these time-saving devices, um, the well, the the world had to be so different, you know, before dishwashers wow. and and. Uh, and washing machines and all that kind of stuff. Well, what I think of is, like in the past, if you go back and you talk to your great-grandparents or whatever, the women, they they did laundry on Monday. That's all they did. Yeah. And you can see why that's all they did if you got this big cauldron and stirring the water with the soap and yeah. hanging it on the line. That's all you got done. Oh, right. And there was a specific order on how you hung mm-hmm. clothes. So, so I, I can see why things were... You know. They weren't the good old days. No. But you understand with all the modern conveniences, it's not so much that the women were bored, it's that they started hearing the feminism say, mm-hmm. well, you're not worth anything. Right. Well, and that's true. A lot of people say that. I mean, my daughter said, I, I don't know how many times she said that said to her, or, you know, the, they, they say two things when they find, she didn't even tell people how many kids she has unless they really pressed because everybody always says, well, do you know how you make them? I'm yeah, like, oh, right. goodness. They always got to say that. Or, and then, then they always want to, well, what, what do you work, what do you do for a job? Or what do you do after the kids leave? Like, and she says, oh, I just sit there and eat bonbons. Yeah. <laughs> right. that's what they think. Yeah, she right. She says that. But, you know, it, you always get stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. I used to have people, because I was a teacher and I worked Supposedly from eight to three, which was not true. But uh-huh. people go, well, what do you do after three o'clock when the yeah. kids go home? <laughs> There's a lot to do. Yeah, it's like the thing about pastors. Oh yeah, you just yeah. work once a week. <laughs> yeah, you only work on Sunday. What do you do most of the time? <laughs> just two hours a week, right? I know. I was there late thirty nine o'clock a lot of nights. My father, when I had my first child, Dan, 
I was going to stay home. In fact, I did stay home nine months. And the people that my father hired to work either came from divorced families. I mean, the wives were at home, never worked before in their life, and then were brought into mm -hmm. the family. I mean, they got divorced. And these women knew nothing. Right. And Daddy would say, Morphe says, I'm not saying you and Norman will ever get a divorce. He said, but what if he passes? Mm -hmm. He said, what are you going to do? You've been out of the workforce for so long. He said, you got to think about that. So I went back. Well, Jan, I, I mean, Christy, I got to stay home six months. But we had, mm -hmm. we had put aside a lot for that. Yeah. But that was his whole thing was because all the ladies that worked at Orger Brothers, that worked in his division, had no outside skills. They had parenting skills. Mm -hmm. I hope that's not mine. But it, it, it's not mine, I know. But anyway, it's just unbelievable. You <laughs> talk to these ladies and the life that they had, and all of a sudden the husband comes, we don't want you anymore. Oh my God, they had children. Yeah, so a couple things with that. In the movie, uh, the documentary, I, I, I liked how she talked about women in the workforce because... I think whenever Christians start to um, discuss like that the feminist view of women in the workforce that is basically that you know a woman should go be in the workforce should not focus on family and should you know go be the next CEO go be the next you know she should go and do whatever she she wants and um, kind of that prideful nature of feminism that that was discussed and you know go and and just uh break the glass ceiling right that's what they always say break the glass ceiling and whenever christians start to push back against that then automatically you get this retaliation of you're saying that you think women just need to stay home barefoot in the kitchen and and, and have babies and make you sandwiches and you're just a misogynist and I think the documentary did a really good job of showing, no, that's that's not what we're saying. And, and she kind of started off um, talking about how the a mistake that some Christians, even Christians, will make is, okay, we know feminism's bad, so what do we do? And we just go and grasp at some era in history of women and try and recreate that instead of looking to God's word. And so some women will try and recreate the 1950s, um, or some families will try and kind of recreate the 1950s. But as she pointed out, that's not even there, – there were problems there because right when that was happening, you had all these uh, you know, time-saving devices come out, and, but then you still also had birth control. A lot of, a lot of families – like if you look at you – know, um, well, I always think about like the Dick Van Dyke show or Leave it to Beaver or whatever. They only have one or two kids. So it's it's not like they're not already kind of on the feminist track with birth control of, of um, you know, preventing bigger families. I mean, those are just two examples, but, but that was happening. You can see the birth rate really dramatically decline around that time. And so – and they would, you know, send their kids to the public school and everything still. So – you had, you know, women who did have a lot of time on their hands, and and they did, you know, uh, kind of get caught up in in whatever they'd get caught up in in the world, um, and there so there were some problems there too, and so I think the documentary did a good job of saying, you know, no, we're not trying to recreate the 1950s. Um, for, you know, first of all, there are problems there, uh, and and second of all, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So, and we're not necessarily trying to re kind of recreate that where there's no woman in no woman in the workforce and uh, that there's kind of this like perfect leave it to Beaver house and every you know white picket fence and suburbs and all that. We're not trying to necessarily recreate that. We're just pointing out that the Bible does distinguish between the spheres of work that the man and the woman should be involved in. So I like that she didn't say – she never said like you know women shouldn't work because I don't think that's true. And, and, and 
she pointed out two, a couple things. One, um, that there are seasons in life that are different than one another, right? So um, it's different when you have a bunch of really young kids at home, or, or multiple, or kids, at, you know, young kids at home. Or it's different when you have when you know you're retired. It's or at, at the age of retirement, it, you know, there's different seasons. You might be single and not married, but an adult, you know, there's different seasons in life, and that might kind of dictate where your work is going to go. Um, and then two, also, what what is your work directed toward? Is your work directed toward you trying to further yourself in a, uh, you know, corporate world? Uh trying to make a name for yourself or is your work for the help of the mission that your husband and family is on and is your work to ultimately to serve your family and in a sense i think that's true for men too that um i'm gonna we'll talk about a little bit about the diff, the way she portrays the difference between men and women but um that men are also they should, at the end of the day, kind of be turned inward toward their family. And I think that's just part of the whole problem in society today is that both men and women are encouraged to um, not be in service toward their household, but to be in service of themselves, to for themselves and make a name for themselves. And so I like that she said, yeah, you know, working outside the home is not a, is not a sin, but what's that work directed towards what's what's the purpose of it um who who are you trying to serve and the other thing that i've i've mentioned before uh that she didn't really go into is the whole working inside the home and working outside the home thing was is always kind of funny to me because um i i mean she did kind of talk about that before the industrial revolution working working inside the home was real work (laughs) you know it was all day, you know, real work. Um, and then the question, you know, for today's women is, how are women going to work? Because uh, women are given to work, uh, just in this, as helpers. I mean, that's that's why women woman is created for Adam. Uh, how are women? How is woman? How are women? I'm trying to keep my singulars and plurals straight here. Uh, going to work for their household, in submission to their husband, as the Bible dictates, uh, what's that going to look like in today's society when we do have all this technology and when there are all these societal structures in place um, that encourage women to to go out and make a name for themselves? So, uh, yeah, that I think uh, the way that she did the portrayed that you know yeah it's not a sin to work outside the home you just have to examine the circumstances and uh two that we're not just trying to seize other ideals from other centuries or other eras um we're trying to go back to what the scripture says and uh yeah so i think those two points were were really good Yeah, and and she did a great job, I think, too, of showing that um, if you compare the way that feminism has advanced its ideals with the way that Christians are going to advance their ideals, the way that Christians are going to advance their ideals is not in a huge public riotous way. Uh, The way that Christians – that Christian women act – is in engaging in what seem like trivial tasks, right? And feeding little kids and changing diapers. And it's not just even with kids, you know, and managing the household, whatever that looks like, whatever the season in life is again. Um, and uh, meekly and, and, and humbly serving their household um, in that 
in those capacities, and it's not going to make a name for anyone, right? It's not going to uh, be this uh, thing, but like I think the analogy she used is um, it's a, a lot of little streams of water, but when you get a lot of streams of water coming together, going in the same direction, that river has a lot of force. And so um, in, that, in that book I referenced when we were doing the marriage stuff, uh, the um, Walter Meyer book, For Better Not For Worse, uh, he talks in there about um, how uh, wi- women in a marriage find the most joy when they find joy in the trivial tasks of marriage and family life. And I did want to bring up one other thing, too. Uh, with the fa- marriage and family life too that we, we did talk about fertility some during the marriage thing another season in life or another kind of uh, different circumstance that Christian women can find themselves in and I always want to point this out is there are some women who struggle to bear children there are a lot of Christian couples I know who struggle with barrenness and when you if you find yourself in a position where you uh, don't have a lot of children for the younger women if they don't have um, like a lot of kids or as as uh, any kids that doesn't mean that there's not still a purpose for their Christian womanhood because um, sometimes we can get caught up in the kids stuff and I I just want to point out you know that um, I'm not saying and I don't think she's saying in the documentary that uh, if you don't have children you've, you're somehow less valuable Right. Um, yeah, I and it's interesting because society kind of it, there's like it's double it's a double-edged sword with society because society doesn't actually really value the children, right? Uh, they, you know, they say children can be murdered. They view children as a commodity, as like if you want children, and uh, then you can. You you can have one if you want one, and then you can you know dress them up in cute outfits and put them on on social media and get the likes, um, and then you can kind of complain about the standard complaints about children how they're whiny and fussy or whatever, um, and but then uh, it's kind of like the it's kind of like if you know having like a cute dog or something you know it's like Oh, that's a nice thing that you have. It's not. It's like an accessory, you know. And so, society will kind of judge a woman, uh, maybe like in certain places and in certain um, communities. You know, you might have be like, oh, you know, you should have kids, but it's like you should have 1.5 kids and they should look like this, right? Where, um, you know, like if you have too many or if they're not. Uh, you know, if they don't kind of look the right way, then, then, uh, then they—that's also not accepted. So society's kind of a double-edged sword in that, where they will kind of judge you for not, for maybe not uh, having them or whatnot. But they—it's like it's got to fit into this certain stereotype, and they're not really valued as, um, you know, souls for whom Christ died. They're valued as commodities. So, but I did want to point out that. Um, you know, again, fertility is up to God, and uh, He's the God of fertility. And um, if He chooses not to give a couple children, that's you know that's fine. Uh, the the Christian woman still has value, um, and and give you know managing her household and stuff. And uh, you know that might be a case where the woman is able to. To do other things, to serve, the, have more time to serve the church, or have more time to um, go out and serve the community in some way with with an outside job and whatnot. So, um, what else? What are the thoughts? Did you guys have questions? How do you create this type of, of teaching to? What age group and when? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, first, uh, first of all, I just well, 
right right when I said what other questions do you guys have, I remembered one other thing I wanted to say before we moved on about um, what you had asked earlier, Marsha, about um, the, the need for women to work potentially. And that was that one thing, one problem in our society today where women really might have to work outside the home to 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 love and support their family and help manage their household is because of the necessity of dual incomes some today um, it's the with inflation and with uh, the way that things are priced for families they're basically priced for for dual income households and so uh, that is that is something we have to consider seriously is that it is very difficult for women to stay home today and you know um, we keep a pretty strict budget at my house you know to try and and uh, mitigate that so Rebecca can stay home and I'm thankful that we're able to would do that but I recognize you know uh, that that that's that can be difficult for a lot of people so I did want to say that that um, that's one thing that we just have to consider in our society today. I mean, ideally, I think that society should be structured. It used to be, um, and this was something that was good about the 50s, was that you could be a mailman and have three or four kids, and your wife could stay home, and you'd be just fine, and you could have a house, you know. But uh, that's just not. It's really that's really hard today. So, um, anyhow. Uh, but no, okay, so your question was, and I'll repeat it for the, the recording, was um, how and when do you teach these values of um, submitting to the husband, service to the household, um, and, and so on and so forth, and, and you know, kind of the not being feminist stuff I, to, to the future generations and to, to younger generations? And I think there's a number of aspects to this. The first one is going to be model in the household. So at the, the main way that kids learn is imitation. And if kids grow up with a father and a mother that are prop, in a properly structured marriage, where the husband is clearly the, the head of the household and where the wife uh, submits to him and and helps him and lives with her sphere of life being the home, then that will be natural for those children growing up. And I think that's that's kind of the first and most basic thing. Um, the as as far and and then as they grow up, as far as like the direct theological teaching and as the direct Bible teaching, that just happens as as children grow up and become teenagers and adults. It's it's just like it's like talking to a kid about going through puberty, right? <laughs> you just there are conversations that need to be had over time, right? So um, you have these conversations, and especially in our world, you know, I'm going to have conversations with our kids that are going to go something like. Look, you're going to hear and see a lot of this in the world. That's not what we do. <laughs> you know, that's just not how we act. Um, and so that that kind of thing. And that's always been the case. There's always been, you know, things in society that Christians have said, yeah, that's not that's not how we are. Um, and then along with that, too, I think one thing I've talked to the young families group about is as our kids grow, one thing we want to be doing is, um, and one thing I think the church at large should be engaged in, is uh, a kind of, and this is going to sound a little weird, but a kind of matchmaking for the younger, for the the future generations. Um, we're not trying to pair them off quite yet, but um, you know that I think. We in our society we've gotten so I mean it, arranged marriages used to be quite normal and um, I was I think I, I taught on Genesis 24 to the young families which was the uh, marriage of Isaac and Rebecca which is the model marriage really in the Old Testament uh, they're the only like 
not one, not the only, but one of the uh, the primary like monogamous relationship marriages in the Old Testament. And uh, do you, I mean, you, you remember the story? Basically, what happens is not Isaac himself doesn't even go. Uh, um, Abraham's servant goes to the well and says, "Yeah, yeah, you're you're the one. <laughs> you know, you brought water to my camels. Uh, let's go back to to Abraham's family, and you can meet your husband. <laughs> and it works. It all works out really good, right? So, but but I think Christian parents um, should kind of work with their children. I, I don't I don't think you know it should be like purely arranged marriages where it's like, all right." We've signed a contract, and here you go. This is your wife. Um, but uh, keeping, you know, looking for potential other families and 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 people you want to be in relationships with, where um, you have the same worldview, right? Where it's not dependent on them. It, it used to be where you know a lot of. Well, let me ask you this: when when y'all were growing up, was it hard to find people to date? Yeah, right. Okay, so uh, it's really hard for people to find people to date now, especially young Christians. Um, so, for example, at at the gym that I go to, uh, the jiu-jitsu gym, the the guys know I'm a pastor, and, and I'll, there's some of them I talk to and, and, and help kind of give some advice to and stuff, and... Uh, Basically, every one of them is like, "How do I find a Christian wife?" That's they, 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 I well, and yeah, I've told them, you know, you come to my church, and then we'll find. <laughs> but uh, that that is a really hard thing today. Is uh, you know the the uh, it's just really hard for young Christians to find each other, and so um, that's one thing is trying to kind of help say, hey, well, you know, as as the kids get older, hey, you're. 16 now and this family has a girl that's also 16 and we know the family and they're really nice why don't y'all start talking and get to know each other a little bit or whatever things like that so i think that'd be helpful um the anyway that that's probably too long on that the other thing that i was going to say is that um and this goes to that titus 2 verse that she she referenced in the movie um which is uh the verse where paul says that uh women should manage their households but two, uh, the context of that is that the older women in the church help to teach the younger women uh, what it looks like to live this life. The widows in the church help to teach the younger women. And so uh, that's one thing I encourage um, anyone who did grow up in the 50s uh, or uh, that, are, that are, have been married for a, long, for a while, um, help, you know, Talk to the younger women, right? And the same thing goes with men. You know, I tell the the men's group, uh, you know, the the baby boomers in the men's group need to teach the Gen Xers and the millennials how to be a man, right? Um, we need to learn things like how to change the oil, and um, I, I know how to change oil, but um, you know, the the young men need to learn from the older men, and the young women need to learn from the older women. So, um, developing those relationships within the church is very very valuable. Is as well. Um, and that's really what people yeah, used go ahead. to learn when they lived in multi generational houses. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really have multi generational houses anymore. There's always been, you know, some jobs where people will move for their jobs, but not anything like today, you know. Um, people move ever, I mean, really, and this is another industrial revolution thing that we just have to deal with. And I'm not saying the automobile is sinful by any means but the automobile changed things you know the automobile allowed people to move across the country um and just live wherever they wanted wherever they could find a job the automobile allowed people to not know their neighbors because you could have whatever friends you wanted because you can drive to their house instead of getting to know the people next door yeah i work with a lady who actually believed that having two vehicles is what causes divorce she said, if you have one vehicle, you have to be attentive to each other. You mm-hmm. have to lay out your time. You have to uh, appreciate each you other. You have to communicate with each other. Right. Yeah. And so she can. Well, I mean. She's married 
I wouldn't say that is the cause of divorce, but um, there is a, a seed of truth in that, that uh, the, we, we do need to think about the, tech, the technology we have and how we use it and um, set, maybe set limits on it in a certain way, right? So like you can think about this with like phones, like basically I think everyone should set a limit for themselves on how much they're on their phones, right? How much blue light they're taking into their eyes because the, I mean, scientific studies have shown that it's simply not healthy. Um, you don't sleep as well, you don't learn as much, your attention span decreases, it's just not healthy. And especially with kids, like the the official advice now is basically don't let your kids look at a screen until they're like 12 if you want them to be really healthy because um, it's just not good for them. It ruins their imagination um, because they don't get bored and then they don't develop imaginations. So it's um, – yeah, it's uh, – a anyway technology technology uh can be good right and i use my phone for things all the time i use my phone to record this podcast so that i can put christian content on the internet but um it can also be dangerous so we just have to we just have to think about it right we just have to think about what to do yeah steve yeah you know, uh, other women that wait because they have a career Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they find themselves not able to find a good Christian man because really the best are already taken. Yeah. So my advice to the younger is to find someone right away. Yeah. You know, be real picky about it. Right. But uh, find one right away and because they'll be gone by the time you get back up. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the good, you know, the good guys are taken by the time that they're, you know, because the good guys want to get married earlier, right? And then, um, and there's there's all, all this whole societal problem where basically the society teaches women to do everything backwards, right? To um, grow up, be individualistic, get a career, and then go have uh, then go get married, and then and then maybe have a couple kids, and that's that's really basically all backwards. Except for you should get married before you have kids. Uh, that part's not backwards. But um, actually, I mean, really, society does switch those around a lot. Of times society now says it, you know, live together, have a kid, and then get married. <laughs> that's you know, that's actually what society teaches now. So they still have that backwards. Um, and really, that's that basically sets up women for for failure um, and ultimately probably divorce and bad relationships with their kids and all sorts of things because um, women's bodies are meant to have children, obviously, at a much earlier age. Yeah, that's important to get it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I mean, for like on the on that end of things, we know it's a lot more difficult. Um, also. Uh, we, you know, know that, you know, uh, biologically, when when men and women change and are able to have kids, that's how God designed us. I would say that um, our there's been a lot of interesting studies too about how puberty has come earlier for kids now because of the over sexualization of the culture. So that's not good. But with that said, um, we get married later than basically any other society in human history now, which is just very odd. Um, especially when you consider Paul's advice in 1 Corinthians 7 that you should get married um, to avoid burning with passion, that when are people burning with passion the most? Well, basically from 16 to 24, you know. Uh, so maybe try and get married in that range when you're burning with passion because uh, that's, that's you know kind of Paul's advice. So, shouldn't the church teach more, like you said, the men want a Christian lady? What's their definition of a Christian lady? What is a lady's definition of a Christian man? Yeah, I think uh, basically like living a Christian life. So, going to church regularly, 
regular devotion, or study, um, and then things that go along with that uh, that are going to show they're ready to fulfill their roles as man and woman, as the Bible describes it. So um, for the man, that would mean uh, that he partakes in activities that show that he has drive, that he has a mission and a sense of leadership um, and a sense of strength and protection. So I'm not saying that Christian women need to find a guy that lifts weights regularly, but that wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, And then also for the women that Christian men are looking for young women who show uh, an interest in nurturing other people and in um, and and in caring for, uh, you know, especially children, but in in caring for and kind of showing that nurturing, um, helping aspect that uh, is going to make for a a good Christian wife. So things like wanting to visit her grandma in the nursing home and being really excited whenever she gets to hold a baby and things like that. Um, So those are obviously kind of tertiary things in a sense, but they help show a little bit of like what um, you might want to look for. So, um, and that, that's obviously, those are just examples. Um, there, there are other things that you could look for too, but, um, like one, one guy I've talked to a lot said, you know, he'll, he'll date these girls and they'll actually be okay with staying at home. But then they say, well, we don't really want kids and we don't really want to do anything at home. We basically just want to sit around and go to the pool and hang out with friends um, and you to earn the salary, which is like, okay, that's not, you know, staying at home is not bad um, if it means that you're going to be wanting to raise children in that home and and nurture the home. But that's kind of almost going back to some of that, um, uh, what, what she was describing at least. Um, and I wasn't there, but what she was describing at least as, as kind of 1950s, like women just kind of wanted to sit around and look pretty, but, um, and then got bored. So anyway, yeah. Uh, but yeah, what, what the church should be teaching is first of all, yeah, living a Christian life, being dedicated to Christ with all that that entails, and then looking for things that are going to grow into Christian manhood and Christian womanhood. What other um, what other thoughts did you guys have about the documentary? Maybe not the documentary, but you know, back in biblical times, you know, Sarah, Sarah I, mm-hmm. was really you know broken hearted that she didn't have any children because in that right. culture it was a shameful thing. Yeah, and then Abram comes along and um, has a child with Hagar, and that never worked out, you know, no, outside Sarah, of marriage. Sarah had oh. him. It don't matter. It never worked yeah, out. Yeah, it didn't work out, I mean, though. It doesn't work yeah. They were still bitter about it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, well, I think um, the, the definition she gave for feminism, did you catch the definition she gave for feminism? I thought it was really good. It's a woman being at war with her own body, <laughs> right? That uh, what feminism seeks to do is to take the creation of God, which is woman, and to fight against it, right? And it is true. So what I said earlier about you know women who don't have children or can't have children still being blessed by God and, and everything, that's, that's, that's still true. But... <clears throat> For most women, they are by their very nature going to desire children, right? Uh, as she said, the childbearing nature of women is something that they live with every month, right? That's what uh, that that time of the month is. It's preparing for for children, and 
um, that's how God created women, right? Is to nurture, uh, to feed the children, right? And uh, it, I mean, even like modern psychology knows this: that what what attracts men to women, it's their uh, their measurements, right? <laughs> and and uh, the, their curvatures, we'll say. That's what attracts men to women, right? That, bi- biologically. Um, and what are those? Th- what are, what is that all designed for? What are hips designed for? For right? They're designed for childbirth. So um, th- this is a biological reality, and and you know we, the major trend with all the waves of feminism that she went through is that the children are the problem. The children are the problem. The children are the problem, right? And so birth control, and then abortion, um, and then now uh, with third and fourth wave feminism. You have beyond even abortion, you know, mutilation of the body um, with transgenderism and all that kind of stuff. So um, anyhow, uh, that – yeah, the, the children are intimately connected to this conversation, and uh, that goes back to some of the fertility stuff we talked about before. But yeah, I think that um, barren, barrenness is obviously – uh, that's a cross to bear, right? So I, when we talk about barrenness, you know, if God desires it, God desires it. That, but that's not to say, and so it's not, you know, it's not sinful to be barren and it's not even a punishment to be barren, but it is a cross that women bear, right? Because I think most women um, are do desire to be married and to have children, right? And that 1 Corinthians 11, right? The man was not created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. And I actually think this is something I have to study more, but as I've studied 1 Corinthians 11, um, I don't think that... I think when Paul talks about celibacy in 1 Corinthians 7... He is really limiting that to men, that men can be celibate in a certain way that women cannot be and be fulfilled, right? Because men can still kind of have their mission of um, – and, and in Paul's case in 1 Corinthians 7, it's of sharing the gospel, of preaching, uh, and do that alone without a wife if they're not burning with passion, where women really don't have that option, right? What women are created to help. They're created to uh, help their husband primarily. And so I think, and I, I think this is true anecdotally, that I've, I've really actually never known a um, – I've I've known a lot of young women and and another women, and I've never met a like single career woman uh, that's truly like happy and fulfilled with their life. Um, all the women I know that are fulfilled and happy with their life are married, and and uh, and maybe have you know kids if the Lord has provided that blessing. So. Um, that's something to consider. I again, I need to study that a little bit more. Um, I'm not going to say celibate women is is sinful at this point, but um, it does seem when you look at First Corinthians seven and First Corinthians eleven, the way that Paul talks uh, that uh, man was not created for woman, but the woman for the man, and so that order is important. Anyway, what other thoughts did y'all have? I got a number of things here, so um, well, I'll just go down the list and we can kind of talk about it. Uh, the first thing she started with I thought was really good, which is the basketball boundary lines, right? That um, our society has basically said that there's no, you know, if if and this is something that I've talked about before, but if women can be whatever they want to be, right, then there's no there's no boundaries, right? And that makes the whole thing meaningless, 
right? If you take away all the boundary lines in basketball, there's no free throw line, there's no three point line, there's no there's no out of bounds, then the game doesn't work. <laughs> right? And the same thing is true with man and woman. That God created man and woman different. He created there to be boundaries for each one. And if you take away those lines, the game doesn't it simply doesn't work. Right? We we are different and we need to we need to think biblically about what these differences are. Um, and you can see that in the third and fourth wave feminism today that they just want no boundary lines, right? Not, everything is allowed. Everything is interchangeable. All the parts are interchangeable, right? And, and, and that started with that first wave feminism. Um, back in the uh, 19th century, you know, she went through the Wollstonecraft and Shelley and all that. That um, that uh, that's that started then, and it was a down, you know, with this sexual liberation, and 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 where that where that led, right? Um, and you know, even things like uh, with the first wave feminism, I've probably maybe I've said this before. The the thing about you know. First wave feminism is it's it's kind of so deceitful because if you look at first wave feminism, it's like, okay, what was the issue? Women's suffrage. Well, we all basically, you know, are okay with women voting now. Um, so like, Rebe- I mean, Rebecca votes because I don't want to waste a vote, you know, <laughs> right? Um, but when, and it's it kind of looks so innocent, but... This is kind of like the automobile thing uh, that you said, Marsha, with the that having one automobile prevents divorce. I got to think about that. Well, that's pretty good. But um, that, yeah, a woman voting, it's not, you know, the Bible doesn't say, thus saith the Lord, women should not vote. But when you have a husband and the, the, the thing about the thing about the voting was that before women's suffrage, you had household voting. Right, you had you had a a representation of the house, of the home voting. So that it wasn't that the women, you know, as as a so as a husband, as a Christian husband, I seek my wife's counsel on things, right? So I don't. Um, we talk about important things. She's not stupid, right? Uh, so. Do you let her win? Uh, I mean, what what do you mean? Like when when we argue? Don't just father and mother. They would agree on something, but he would he would always make a change that they didn't agree. (laughs) So he was always right. Yes, they agreed on certain things, but he would add something where it didn't last. Yes. Uh, Yeah. uh, I don't know. Uh, no, we're not like that. Um, but you know, I so it's not that like, oh, women are stupid; they can't vote. It's that the household was voting together, right? And um, that's not. And then you know, if a, there was a single woman, you know, her vote was still with her father's household. Um, very traditional, right? You're kind of even if you're an adult, you're still kind of in that in that same household. Um, until until you're with a husband. So, um, I anyway, again, like so, like yeah, there's no Bible verse that says, "Thus saith the Lord, the woman should not vote." But on the other hand, when you look at what what the idea was was to separate the man and the woman as two individuals, right? And to uh, instead of having a unified household, you had two unique individuals that. Um, were interchangeable and could do it. And, and then that just all the way down the line, um, that leads to uh, – and, and it's not that that issue led to everything. It's that philosophy, right? It's that, that idea that um, the, the, the woman is not distinct from the man, right? And that they're not um, a one-flesh union, but instead they are – Two interchangeable individuals, right? So that—that's where feminine. That's the the basic idea of feminism, and then that that erasing of boundary lines, um, where you have a definite definition of man and woman, and then you have a definite order of man and woman, 
and then together they're one flesh, that erasing of those boundaries makes it everything fall apart. Um, The other thing, we already talked about this some, but the the next thing that I had on my list was uh, future generations. So I liked how she appealed to, um, okay, things are kind of in a mess now. What are we going to do for future generations? And this is a question I think about a lot that um, what I am, what am I going to, what am I fighting for, right? I don't, I don't just want to say, well, I guess I've lived a good enough life and things aren't really that good right now, but I guess I'll die uh, before they get too bad and then my kids and grandkids just have to deal with it, <laughs> right? I, I, I do not like that attitude. I, what's that? Yeah, a lot of people say that and I get, I get frustrated when people tell me that, that, well, I'm just glad I'm not going to be around for it. Well... Um, I mean, I'm going to be around for some of it, <laughs> depending on how things go. And my kids and grandkids are, are going to be um, the future generations. So what are we going to let things look like? And um, this is a good time to be alive, actually, and to be teaching and fighting and, and growing things because and starting things, because this is a time of rebuilding, Right. Uh, that this is the land of opportunity to to get to to rebuild things. So um, I thought that was a good kind of thing to talk about. I talked about that. Uh, talked a little bit about that. Um, one thing that was interesting in the history of feminism is how she pointed out the lives that these early feminists led um, and how they were filled with all this sexual debauchery. Um, and that just reminded me a couple weeks ago, we had the false prophets Sunday where we talked about false prophets and Matthew seven, you know, you will know the false prophets by their fruit, right? That they, in their lives, that they're not bearing good fruit. And so, um, you know, if you got people who are clearly not living up biblical standards, maybe we shouldn't, you know, read their books as societal textbooks, right? So, um, talked about that. Uh, one thing she didn't go too much into is the third or fourth wave feminism. So, According to Wikipedia, uh, we're in fourth wave feminism now, which I didn't know. I thought we were just in third still, but apparently we're in fourth. Um, and uh, I, I just I was looking up when the dividing lines were. But um, if you think about, uh, she didn't really talk about what those were. She talked about first and second wave more in depth, and so I was just going to cover a little bit about third and fourth wave feminism, which is where we're at now. I mean, and she did show pictures and imagery of it so she showed the riots of the women holding pictures of their private parts and uh, those kinds of things Um, and so I just wrote down a couple things here that are kind of symbols of the third and fourth wave feminist Uh, the me too movement uh, which is where you had all these women coming out and saying that they've been sexually harassed by men which you know like 90% of those stories turned out not to be true. It was just basically, um, and there's university professors and stuff you can find teaching this, that you should lie about your past so that you can uh, advance the cause of feminism. Um, that It's just a crazy world we live in. That the, 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 It's like a different theory of truth, that it's true in the sense that you can... Uh, if you're doing something, basically the ends justify the means and all this stuff. So um, saying that this move, this movement, this Me Too movement to advance the cause that basically men bad, women good, <laughs> um, women need to take over men, uh, society is, is kind of crazy. Um, the wage gap controversy, which again, like I hate to, to break it to the feminists, but um, – the, the wage gap is is completely false. <laughs> um, it's actually the opposite now. More women graduate college, more women get jobs because because of all the um, what's that called the uh, uh, equal opportunity employment and all that stuff um, has basically made it to where if you're a white man who's a Christian conservative, it's harder to get a job now. 
um, because they will they will hire a woman above uh, for for above above a man so that they're going along with the society narrative and and pay them more. So um, I have like some charts and stuff saved somewhere that dissects all this, but um, yeah. So the wage gap controversy. Um, and then, uh, as she showed, kind of this with the third wave feminists and the fourth wave feminists, the the only way I know how to describe it is um, gross and debaucherous. I mean, you just have these these women marching around with no clothes on, uh, basically no clothes on, and uh, waving signs that are gross and debaucherous. And um, even if you just like walk around Target now in the summer. <laughs> You know, it's it's pretty insane what girls are wearing. Um, that that gets away with clothing now <laughs> for nowadays, and um, it's just it's just gross. It's just not good. Um, and then finally, uh, combining forces with the whole transgender movement and all of this, which the the relationship of transgender and feminism is kind of funny to me because. Uh, on the one hand, it, it's based on the same premise that every person is interchangeable and that there's – at the end of the day, there are no boundaries. There are no distinctions. But on the other hand, feminism will eventually be taken over by the transgender movement because what is feminism – at the end of the day, feminism does rely on the sense that there is still such a thing as woman, right? And at this point – we can't even say that there is such a thing as woman, right? That's the whole uh, Kentonji Brown-Jackson clip that was at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, what's a woman? I don't – I can't say. I don't know, right? There's no such thing. And so then that's the transgender thing that there's, there's no such thing as woman. There's no such thing as man. Anyone can be anything they want. They can have any parts that they want. They're all irreplaceable, right? So um, – that will ultimately, I think, destroy feminism because you can't fight for women's rights. Well, we already see it destroying sports. Yeah. yeah. There's no such thing as – yeah, there's no such thing as female sports, right, So uh, anymore because you just have well, – uh, that swimmer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Leah. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever his name is. <laughs> Thomas or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, that so that's always interesting that they, you know, the feminine, the radical feminists, the fourth wave feminists are united with the transgender movement um, on paper, but in theory, it's like, well, what, you know, what even is that anymore? What even is a feminist anymore in that sense? Um, okay, and then the final thing um, I had, uh, unless we have any more comments, questions, yeah, Steve. Uh, back to the- Yeah. Well, anyway, he just got awarded $8.2 million almost in his lawsuit against Oh, uh, for slander? Yeah, reliable. Yeah. Oh, reliable, yeah. So, you know, there was no evidence. They had all these yeah. talking points. And there was Same thing with Kavanaugh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I've been praying for him for years. Yeah. Well, they're in the way back, it was acceptable. Society accepted that if you wanted to get ahead, then you did certain things. It was acceptable. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you can't go back and hold accountable for something society said was acceptable because there are a lot of things that did happen that really happened, but they weren't famous people that you go after. Right. But to advance in certain positions, you know, like the police department. You advanced in certain areas yeah. if you participated, okay? And that is actually documented and all that. But you can't now go back and say, well, I, in the mm-hmm. 50s or the 60s, this happened to me and expect right, everybody yeah. to... And I should say, yeah, I, d- I don't doubt that there has been such thing as, like, sexual harassment that's happened before that bad men have committed against women. Um, and I would also say that women have done the same thing, that, oh, yeah. that women have used their sexuality to get ahead and, and other things like that, too. You know? And so we live in a 
sinful world. There's no doubt about that. Um, the Me Too movement specifically encouraged women to lie. So that that that's kind of my point about that. But the uh, yeah, I mean, I have no doubt. And then, but your your point is actually really good too, Marcia. That um, that you it, it's a this the whole society has encouraged this kind of debauchery. And then they say, well, goodness, how can you how can you do that? That was so wrong. It's like, well, yeah, it's the same thing with um, with porn. You know, porn teaches men to expect certain things. And then and then society says, oh, men can't act like that. Well, it's like, well, that's what they're told there is supposed to happen. Um, so it's a I mean, it's totally messed. Yeah, totally messed up in that in that regard. And you got. Taking, uh, trying to get rid of uh, George Washington because he had slaves. Mm-hmm. Slaves were known. Okay. Yeah. Now they're trying to take him out of the book, all because he owned. Oh the yeah, flag. don't get me started on that. So I mean, here again. They took away my flag. You can't hold something that was society acceptable and now yeah. come back and say. Oh, that's so wrong. Let's punish them. Let's get rid of all the history wow. and everything like that. They've opened their eyes up. Slavery's never ended. I know it's always been yeah. in the Bible. Always there. It'll always be there. Well, uh, same thing like poverty. We've always had poverty. Yeah, you can uh, talk to Bill Fowler sometime. He'll tell you about how his uh, his ancestors who had slaves treated the slaves better than they treated their own family, <laughs> um, which is. Um, you know, not ever told when we read about the war of northern aggression. All right. Well, now I'm now I'm kicked off the podcast. All right. It's fine. <laughs> uh, my ancestors fought in that war. So. Uh, where were we at? Now I'm really distracted. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One last point. It was just. Uh, so, and this goes back to Judy, what you said at the beginning that this it was more for women. She talked about what women are. She didn't really discuss kind of the diff, the what men. So what, in contrast to you know what Christian women should be like, what should men look like? And um, in real short, to kind of give that contrast, I think she did a good job of showing that the woman's sphere should be the home, and um, kind of have this inward focus um, on her people. And with men, like I said, uh, the focus is on sacrifice and responsibility um, of the home as well. But the way that service looks kind of goes in different directions. So the woman has the sphere of the home and the man goes out of the home and kind of um, leads the, the home with him in a certain direction. So the way I like to think about men and husbands and fathers is as being on a mission, right? Because that's, so I think the whole Bible is about mission, namely the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost, but um, also the mission from the very beginning of creation, that man would subdue the earth, right? That he would have dominion. That's God's purpose of man in creation is to have dominion. And so man is on this mission um, and that involves leadership, that involves direction, right? And so that helps make sense of if a woman is go- going to submit to a man, what she's submitting to. Well, she's um, submitting to him as someone who is leading, right? And leading means to go somewhere, um, right? To act- So like another example of this would be, this is also why, uh, one of the reasons why Pastors are to be men because pastors are to be leaders in this regard. And as a pastor, what are you trying to do with the congregation? You're trying to take them somewhere, right? Uh, to lead them into a stronger knowledge of the Lord and, um, and to go on that mission with Christ. So in the same way, uh, a husband and a father in a household is going to be leading the household somewhere. Um, and the woman helps that mission by by taking care of the home, right? By by making sure that the that that home is uh, going in that same direction and and submitting under him. So 
Um, that's kind of the main thing um, that I would say. And then the, the other thing we talk about with men is um, sacrificial responsibilities. Sacrificial responsibilities. So the the man is to love the wife as Christ loved the church, which means to give up his life for her, right? So to um, for the men for the man also, it's not about making a name for yourself, right? It's about uh, sacrifice, um, about uh, providing and protecting, and those things involve you know self-sacrifice, and then um, responsibility that. The responsibility of the whole house is on the man, right? So um, anyway, I can go into that later, but uh, that that the the woman um, the woman is is given to submit and to service, but the woman does not have responsibility in that sense for the home, right? The man has the responsibility that that the home is a Christian home. The man has the responsibility that that they're going in the right direction. The man, at the end of the day, um, you know, Rebecca helps me with the management of the home, but ever but everything in the home, it's my it falls on me, right? Um, if if uh, if something's going wrong, it's my fault. Um, even if it's someone else's sin, it's still my responsibility. So uh, that. Um, and, and women do not have that burden the, the way that men do. So that's a little bit on the difference between men and women. Obviously, there's a lot more to say there. But she didn't really go into what the, like, okay, we talk a lot about the woman and the home. What does that look like for the man? So any final questions or comments? Well, I thought it was fun to do something a little different um, than just stand up here and talk. So uh, we'll maybe kind of trying to incorporate some some more of these types of things in the future. All right, well, let's close with a word of prayer then. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created us, uh, man and woman, in your image. And we pray that you would continue to strengthen us in the roles and the duties that we've been given in this life. Uh, We pray that for our future generations of men and women, that they would be raised in a firm knowledge of you and of your word, that when they are old, they will not depart from it. And we pray that you would uh, continue to keep us um, under your care. You are the sovereign God, and you have us in your hand, and no one can pluck us from your hand. We pray that you'd give us all the comfort and peace that you know that we need uh, from your fatherly hand. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.